We're starting um, uh, back into the confession today on chapter 4, and uh, it is of creation, chapter 4. As we've been going through, uh, we've been looking at these first principles in the confession, and we've seen, uh, it begins with the Holy Scriptures, the very foundation on what the confession um, is all about. Uh, the, the source of the confession, you could think of it like this, uh, the, the confession's aim is to really uh, to summarize uh, for us what the scriptures say uh, about all these important things. And it, it is not to, it's not to be in place of the scriptures. Um, so the first one is Holy Scriptures. Chapter 2 is on of God and the Holy Trinity. We spent several weeks on that looking at, at this foundational doctrine, the doctrine of God and who God is as he is eternal and immutable and say, and how uh, even in chapter 3 that he has decreed whatsoever comes to pass and how we understand that and uh, looking at all these foundational things chapter 4 we're going to get into uh, creation and having uh, heard Dr. Renahan teach through the confession one of the things um, one of the things that he does president of RBS one of the things he talked about is when we go through the confession, you want to you wanna look at the confession and read it in some ways sideways. Because all these things build on the other. Uh, what we see in chapter 1, obviously, whole confession is about the scriptures. What we're going to see even of the Holy Trinity is, uh, Holy Trinity is not just in chapter 2. Uh, even in God's decrees and working all things out to his purposes. Uh, that, that is not limited to chapter 3. Uh, but the confession is not only building on itself, but it is um, compounding and um, uh, what we're going to see is a cohesive unity uh, in the confession through all these things. And so that's so important because as we think about even the Holy Scriptures and what they are meant to teach us about God and who he is and who are we in relation to him and how do we understand the world that we live in, uh, it's important to uh, even as we go through the confession, try to keep the whole idea of what does all the Bible say uh, about God? What does all the Bible say about us? What does the scriptures say about the created order and how God has created things? Uh, this is not only involves the things that we see in our lives, the things that we run into and experience, uh, but we're going to see in the, in the confession that it deals with us and how we are made in his image. Male and female, we are made, we are made in the image of God, and how glorious that is. And so the confession begins, and it says, in the beginning, uh, if that recalls anything to your mind, it says, it pleased God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the manifestation of His glory, of His eternal power, wisdom, His goodness to create or to make the world and all things therein whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. One of the things I want us to see is that as, as the confession begins, this particular aspect, uh, it begins with, in the beginning. Uh, obviously, it's Genesis 1, right? Hearkening back to the very first verse of the scriptures. Um, and John chapter 1, uh, also where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the, uh, and the Word was God. 
Um, as, as one of the things that the confession does that's a little different than the Westminster and the Savoy is it puts this phrase right at the beginning. And the, one of the reasons I think why the, the Baptists do that is, um, one, it echoes the first London confession that was written in uh, 1644. Um, it, is, it is not divisive against the Westminster uh, or the Savoy uh, Confession because uh, they have it in this particular paragraph but in a different place. But uh, the Baptist put it right at the beginning, I think, to highlight for us even uh, this idea of Genesis, uh, putting it in the beginning. And so notice it says, It pleased God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of His glory and His turn of power and wisdom, to create or make. And so one of the things I want us to see as you think about creation, I want you to understand and know that uh, in, in the way the Baptists described us is that they wanted us to realize that creation, uh, all of creation is a Trinitarian act. Uh, and if the Father was involved, the Son was involved, and the Spirit uh, was involved, and they state that right in the confession, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, attributing um, to our triune God creation. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then it says, whom he, that is God the Father, appointed the heir of all things. And then it says, through whom also he created the world. And so here we see not only the Father, but we also see the Son as that uh, agent of creation. Uh, here giving um, glory and honor, not only to the Father, but also the Son. That is through the Son that God created the world. Um, I think that's really awesome as we think about uh, creation uh, in, in the Son, the Son of God, the eternal Son, and as John calls him, the Word. Um, and how all things were made by uh, the word of God's power and that, um, that they were both involved. Uh, here, uh, we kind of looked at it already. Uh, in the beginning was the word in John 1.1. 1, 1, and the word was with God and the word was God. Look what this says about Christ. It says, he, talking about the word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And to, to amplify it, it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. So all the created order, everything that has been made, uh, was made in and through the word, or uh, what we understand as the son, the eternal son. All things were made in and through him. And so this rules out any kind of uh, Jehovah's Witness reading into this that, that the father created the son first. And as a created creature, he was the agent that kind of brought creation into being. No, this says that without him, that is without the word, without the son, it says, was not anything made that was made. And so here, truly, as we think about Christ our Lord, our resurrected Lord, he is the agent of creation through which all things were made. It says, without him, not anything was made that was made. And think of all the things in the created order. Whatever you can think of in the created order, from the most smallest molecule or cork or atom or however small you want to try to go, 
to the most grandest ideas uh, that we have of God and the sun and the stars, all that he's made. Since Christ has done this. The sun, the word has done this. Our Lord has done this. Our resurrected Lord, our Savior. He has done these things. One of the things that should cause us to do is to be in awe of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It should cause us to worship. When we are out and we see the Creator, or we're seeing the the snow, this was God's idea. It was His design. It's uh, by the power of God. We can glorify Him and magnify Him as uh, we think of snowflakes, right? Are there ever two that are alike? God knows. <laughs> but do you think, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's majestic. It's glorious. Uh, obviously, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, here we see this idea of the Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. Sometimes the scripture is, is referred to. Uh, we see this uh, Trinitarian act in creation. Um, all involved. So when we think of all of creation made in and through our triune God, who is one in being, three in person, uh, let's, let's be careful that we don't say uh, the, the Father has done a third and the Son has done a little bit. And the Spirit has done a little bit and try to truncate up maybe uh, what they've done. But let us, let us see that all of creation is, is uh, really of God and putting Him on display. Um, we, act, we could ask why. Why did God do these things? As we've already looked at the Trinity, uh, one of the things that Pastor Nathan unpacked for us is the idea that, that God is a God is of Himself. And so we ask... Why did God create? The confession addresses that. And what does he say? He say here, it says, for the manifestation of his glory, of his eternal power, of his wisdom, and of his goodness. Uh, a lot of times people think that God created because uh, he was bored. Or that, that God created because he was lonely. Or that, that God created because he needed us to give him more and to fill him up and to... Give him something that he didn't need. Uh, but the fact that God is Ase and the fact that God is uh, not only transcendent outside of creation, but he's not dependent on the creation for anything. He doesn't need us to magnify and glorify his name, although he has made us that we would magnify and glorify his name. Uh, but, but God has no needs. He doesn't need anything from us. But here the confession is talking about the sheer reason of him putting his glory on display, putting his eternal power, uh, his wisdom, and his goodness on display. And one of the ways that we see his wisdom and his goodness is, is we go through, even the scriptures, we see that uh, we, we go through all six days, and it says, uh, this day was created, it was good. This day was created, it was good. And at the end, he says what about all of his creation? He says it was very good. It's very good. 
As we, uh, I don't know if, if you've ever been out on the mountain or been uh, looking at uh, the sunset, maybe on uh, Covenant College and just admiring just the, the beauty and the glory of uh, watching the sun kind of disappear over the horizon. Um, if you've ever had an atheist sitting next to you and they're going, oh, this is so beautiful. This is so glorious. And it's like, it is. And we get to go, thank you, Lord, that we have eyes to see. Thank you, Lord, that you have done these things. Uh, but the atheist doesn't have anyone to, to praise or to honor in light of that. Uh, they don't even have a reason in their mind of uh, why this is good. But we know, as we're going to see later, that they're created in the image of God. And they, they recognize beauty. And, they, and as we look at all of creation, we see glorious design and, and, and majestic um, Unity in the things that he has made. I believe it's Michael Behe uh, wrote a book. I think it's called Darwin's Black Box. Uh, I think it's the, the title of it, if I can remember correctly. And I, I believe in it, he has, uh, he talks about how not only our bodies, but there's so many things in creation that are irreducibly complex. And he picks, I think, a mouse trap, and he goes, you know, look at the spring, look at the bar, look at the plate. And, and you have to have all these different interworking connections for it to be actually a mousetrap and for it to work. And if one part isn't there, then it falls apart and it doesn't work. Um, but as, as we look at ourselves, he also has a display of how our bodies uh, clot blood. And all the different chemical uh, situations that have to go through. Uh, that, have to, that have to take place in our body for our blood to clot. And it's like this Christmas tree of all these things that has to happen. And then all these things that have to happen to make it stop. But when we think about all these things, you get a cut on your hand and, and it starts scabbing over. And think, that is to the glory, praise of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, not to even think about the mind-blowing reality of women being able to uh, produce a child uh, and, and, and how glorious that is of that little baby growing uh, in their womb. Uh, God has made everything and he's made it to his glory. There's many things, so many things that we can praise him for. And students, I pray that while you're in school and you're learning all these amazing things about God, that you wouldn't forget to step back and thank God for not only what you're learning, but for how you're being taught on these things and, and the understanding that God is in all these things. God has made all these things. And even in your ability to think and reason and, and give praise to God, uh, we can glorify Him and magnify Him in this way. One of the things that the confession does here is uh, it says that, that God has not only done this for His eternal power, for His wisdom, uh, and for His goodness, uh, if you maybe remember from chapter 1, this is the reverse of what chapter 1 says as far as the Holy Scriptures. It talks about uh, God's goodness and His wisdom and His eternal power. And here they reverse the order, uh, but they, they're still attributing it uh, to the Lord, uh, to the Lord God. And that God uh, created and He made the world. Now, these men in, in the, uh, was writing the confession, they believed that God created uh, by divine fiat, just ex nihilo, right? That, where there was uh, absolutely no material, no things, and God spoke, and all these things came into being. But they don't put uh, ex nihilo in the confession. Uh, they actually took it out. Uh, and uh, I believe the reason that they took it out 
was because uh, the way that scripture talks about the Lord taking uh, the dust of the earth and forming man and making man and um, how it describes God making man in a unique way and obviously making the woman uh, out, putting Adam to sleep and doing surgery on him and taking a rib out and forming the woman out of his body and out of his flesh and, and the Lord telling him something about that because he says this is now bone of my bone flesh of my flesh and uh, giving praise to God for that uh, so interesting thing to kind of note there but again the confession says that God has made all things therein. God has made all things uh, therein. Everything that exists, visible or invisible. And as we think about the whole created order, as we think about even Jesus Christ, listen to what, listen to what this says about our glorious Lord. Talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of He's the image, the icon. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. It says, for by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were made for him and all things were made through him. As we think about this talking about the Christ, the son of God, um, one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses like to do in this text is they insert a little word and they read it this way. For by him, all other things were created in heaven and on earth. Uh, and also says, um, they insert all, all other things were created through him and for him. They add this little word other because they want Christ to be a created being. Uh, but but <laughs> this text obviously doesn't have the word other in it. And, and what it is doing is attributing glory and honor and praise to Christ the Son um, in, in his uh, creative acts. So as we think of this, what this means is that Jesus and uh, the devil are not spirit brothers, okay? They're not some kind of equal thing, uh, but that Christ is Lord and he is Lord of all. And as we think about Jesus Christ, uh, this text is talking about that he is the one who has made all things visible and all things invisible. And so you, when you think of uh, the angels, uh, you think we've been going through Daniel, uh, right? And we've been hearing about all these Angels and majestic beings, they were created through the Son. He has created them all. He is over all of them. Uh, he, is, he has made everything. The things that we cannot see and the things that we can see. He has made everything. Uh, again, this is to make us praise Him. This is to make us magnify and glorify the Lord. Um, here at the end of the confession on this particular paragraph, it says that God is in all these things in the space of six days, uh, in the space of six days. And, and the way that the, uh, the framers of the confession thought of, of cre the creation, uh, Genesis 1, is that they thought of it as six literal days, uh, six 24-hour days if you read a lot of their other writings. 
this is how they understood, and also the Westminster um, and the Savoy, that in the space of six days, God made everything, and he made it uh, very good. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting, even in this whole, um, this whole chapter, they don't really talk about the Sabbath on, on the seventh day, which I thought was really interesting. And they, they talk about the Sabbath in another chapter. But as we think, let me see what I have here. Okay, so I was going to, I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time on uh, some of these different theories. Uh, some Christians in the past have thought there was a, a gap theory. And the idea that there was a huge gap between Genesis chapter 1. And I put that on the slide. And verse like, so between verse 1, uh, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then uh, a big gap. And then uh, a, a long, long, long age of time between verse 1 and verse 2. And to my understanding, they think that um, God created everything in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And then they have this idea that there was um, all this rebellion and all of this uh, chaos and all this that stuff that ensued that God had to wipe everything out. And then verse 2 describes that and that was long 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 ages of time uh in this gap theory and uh there there were very gifted men in the past who believed these things and taught these things um uh, we do not teach that here uh there there is also uh, a day age theory and I, i'm sure i could spend a whole sunday on just this slide here uh so we're not going to spend uh, a ton of time on it uh, but there's a day age theory too where uh some think that that the ages of the earth, uh, sorry, the days of the earth, like each day, uh, is a long age or a really long time, as like uh, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. But, but they would see it even as more than just a thousand years, but maybe just a long, long, long time in between the days. Um, um, we do not hold that theory too, so some, some do. Um, there, and then there's a framework theory. Uh, framework theory, uh, they, I think they try to, um, it's not, I don't think they try to discard necessarily the 24-hour days, but they, they kind of put that aside and say that the meaning of the text was uh, not really to give us a chronology. It wasn't really meant to give us uh, a sequential days that things happened, but kind of looking th- at things more from uh, a, a figurative idea in that God is trying to re- relate to us that uh, that he created all things uh, by his power. Um, and they, they want to, I think, get away from the, the time aspect of uh, maybe how God did it and to get into how God has uh, put on display his glory and power. He is, he is the Lord and how, uh, how we can know of God's glory and power in life. Maybe seeing the way that the days all fit together from a framework perspective. Um, does anybody want to add anything on, on any of those? Uh, maybe add to the framework theory or Chandler, do you want to add anything on that? Or uh, anyone else? Did, did, was that represented correctly? Yeah, and so, um, 
So as we think of day one, uh, God said, let there be light. Um, as we note, uh, as we go through Genesis chapter one on day four, on day four, did you hear me that? Uh, God created the sun and moon and the stars. But on day one, he created light, and it says he separated the light from the darkness. Have you ever noticed that in the, in, in the, in the scriptures? And so uh, there's like this realm got created, and then he filled it. He made the sun and the stars. Day two, what did he do? He separated the waters from the waters, and so we have like the sky, and we have the waters beneath. That's day two. Day five, it says that the Lord created the birds, filled the sky. And all the fish in the sea fill the seas. You see how it, the, there's a realm and then, then the, uh, the created order that he made for that. The, uh, day three, uh, God made the, the ground, if you will, come up out of the ocean or out of the seas, out of the great deep. And dry land formed. Uh, day six, God made all the animals and he made man. Okay. And so filling the land, filling the earth. Uh, and so uh, we definitely see that there's a correlation there between those days. Um, and so framework theory would say uh, there's this, uh, these creative realms, our kingdoms, if you will, and these other, um, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, and man, all these things kind of is a sense of like rulers over those, those realms that have been created. Um, I'm sure we could talk a lot about that and all that has been written on that. And there's a lot of different... There's a lot of different, uh, oh, Nathan, do you have? Yeah, I just want to say, like, you know, as Christians have wrestled with, with uh, the creation account, there, there are some who have um, let science, I guess, maybe, and, and recent um, uh, evolutionary theories um, kind of uh, affect their views of creation. Mm. And, and that's where things really can go off the rails really quick because um, you know now you're you know you're in a difficult position where you you you, you, know, you might deny the historicity of Adam and Eve. Uh, you might um, subscribe to some sort of evolutionary um, um, view of creation rather than God coming down, obviously as the text says, and creating in a very personal and intimate manner. Um, you might have uh, views where there's these pre-human beings, uh, I forgot the, the scientific name, homeo, whatever, um, you know, uh, beings that precede Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were kind of the kings of that line, and I think those views are very dangerous. Uh, we always got to be careful when, you know, obviously we, we, we kind of balance natural revelation, what we learn from observing with special revelation, but at the end of the day, special revelation is more authoritative than natural revelation. Mm -hmm. It is a higher priority in defining for us reality. And so we balance those things, but we've got to be careful of that danger, and that's where I think Christians have gone off the rails mm -hmm. uh, and, and denied uh, some core matters of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Now, all that being said, there are other Christians, like the framework theory, they're not driven by science, not driven by views of evolution. They're driven by what is the text intending to communicate? Is God purposely trying to teach us that the, 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 um, the time frame is important? And that's where framework theory, no, not really. Uh, this is just, this is a picture of God acting like a man who works six days and rests the seventh. 
The purpose of the six days is simply to show how organized and structured and intentional he was in creation, and that he, in creation, sets the pattern for man, because he could have just created in an instant. He didn't have to create in six days. He did so to set for us a pattern to follow. And so those views, while it's not what we teach and hold as the confession says, um, those views, I would say, are within the realm of orthodoxy. Mm. They're not like the views that actually deny uh, and go off into evolutionary uh, ideas that are, that are very dangerous and undermine core doctrines of the faith. So, as we understand that, we can both know what to guard against, but also at the same time show charity to those who might differ with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, uh, how important is the historicity of Adam? If you throw out Adam, what do you lose if you throw out the historicity of Adam? What do you lose? What's that? You lose salvation? You, and we're going to get to this in a little bit. God gave Adam and Eve a positive command uh, to obey in the garden. And um, the way that God related uh, to his people is in a covenantal way. And, and if... If we look at Adam and say that he was only a myth or those, those things are just, uh, God used evolutionary processes to kind of bring all these things about. It really uh, distorts like Romans chapter 5 when we think of Adam as every single person is not only their covenantal head, but also Christ and our covenantal head and those that are in Christ. Uh, it also has a lot to do with uh, being made in the image of God. And being a human being, and, and the, the difference is that evolution uh, bleeds into that. So all that to say, a lot of these ideas and a lot of these thoughts uh, of doubt and um, throwing uh, or disparaging, I guess, the text of Scripture and, the, and the, that God did anything, uh, a lot of these came around in the 1800s and 1900s, uh, and especially in light of obviously Charles Darwin and things like that. And uh, um, so maybe to read these back into the confession would be anachronistic. It would not be <laughs> a legitimate way to read the confession as they would think of it uh, being made in six little, little days and that in the space of six days, six days, and it was all very good. Um, now, well, a lot could be said about that. And a lot could be said about the garden. A lot could be said about Genesis chapter one and chapter two. And really today is not, we're not, we're going to talk about creation, but we can't unpack uh, all of Genesis. But thinking about God's decree, uh, thinking it, that God has planned whatsoever has come to pass in his purposes. When we get to chapter four, the idea is like, okay, this is, this is God working out his purposes. This is God putting his purposes and plans uh, into uh, action, if you will. And so in the second paragraph of the confession, it says, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female. So mankind is made male and female uh, with reasonable and immortal souls, rendering them uh, fit unto that life to God for which they were created, being made after the image of God. It says, in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written on their hearts, 
and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. One of the things I want us to see from this text is that God has made us uh, male and female, both male and female, I need to repeat that, right, Uh, in his image, in that uh, he has made us unlike all the created order. So he did not make the angels uh, in his image, uh, but he has made uh, man, male and female in his image. and, and has in one sense uh, stamped us with his image that we might reflect him, uh, that we may be like him, as, a, as the confession says here, in knowledge and righteousness and true holiness. Uh, as we think of the image of God, um, not like the angels, uh, but different, how is it that human beings like us, how do we reflect God? How do we mirror God? Uh, as image bearers, as being image bearers. How were Adam and Eve to be image bearers in the garden? What was that to look like? Ethan. Receive God's word and listen to it and obey it. And uh, okay, that would be a way to reflect like God and be like him. To hear his word, obey his word, and uh, uphold his word. Okay. What else? You think of image of God. They were to work into creation and bring about dominion. Oh, okay. God gave them something to do, right? In the in the garden? To work it, to keep it, and to uh, to have dominion over it? Uh, where were you going to say? Um, it's just to keep on creating, to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. Yeah, he told them to be fruitful and multiply, right? And to keep uh, propagating. And, uh, it, some take that and say, oh, God has made us that we would be inventive, that we would be creative. And in that way, uh, it's, there's a, a, a similarity there, right? And to uh, our creativity. Uh, the way that God creates. Think back to uh, when Pastor Nathan talked through uh, attributes of God. What are those communicable attributes that we have that we sh- share with God? What were some of those, Melanie? Uh, loving relationships. Okay, loving relationships. Okay, uh, we're relational. God is relational. Uh, yeah. What else? That. Okay, knowledge. Some some degree of knowledge and wisdom to invent, create, and you know. Yeah, and uh, let's see. I I thought I think that maybe or okay, I, he's made us reasonable, right? He's made us reasonable. Uh, the ability to think, the ability to reason, uh, the ability to to grow in our understanding and knowledge of who God is and who we are, right? Um, want to be careful though to you know it doesn't mean that a baby in the womb right does not uh, have the image of God because they're 
they can't think, right? They do get scared. <laughs> you, you shout to them, and you can feel them jump uh, in the womb, but uh, they know they can think and understand and know that their things are uh, kind of what's going on. Uh, what else? Think image of God. Okay. And, and have the ability to, until they fell, to live a righteous life. Okay. Yeah, to, uh, to image God in, in holiness, right? God calls us to be holy as He is holy, even today. Um, when you think of the image of God, and you think of um, the, the way that, think of, think of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of him, it calls him the image of the invisible God. As believers, Scripture calls us to imitate Christ, to be like Christ. Listen to what this says in Ephesians. uh, Christians are called to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, it says created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Not only were Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth and to subdue things and to, um, in one sense, expand the garden, but they, they were to be like God in the way that they related to one another and the way that they spoke the truth. In the way that they loved one another. Uh, In the the way that they uh, did what is right in God's eyes. And as we see, this is is the image that we are being renewed into as we consider the likeness of Jesus Christ. Hating sin, hating that which is uh, destructive and distorting, and seeking uh, the purity and the holiness of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Consider that we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. And then he talks about what being Christ-like looks like. And he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. He says, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This has big implications as we think about being made in the image of God. No matter how old you are, No matter how young you are, God has made us in His image. And human life has value because we are made in the image of God. That also means no matter what race you are, no matter what country you're from, they are made in the image of God as well. Um, so this really destroys any kind of racism for us. We should not be 
biased towards anyone else because of what race they are or what nationality they're from. They're made in the image of God. Uh, this, this has big implications for us. As you, we've talked a little bit about the fall. The fall is going to be in chapter 6. But what about after the fall? When they fell, what happened to the image of God when Adam and Eve fell? What happened to it? Did it eradicate it? Did it erase it? Was it still there? What would you say? Basically, their sin came to the world. Okay. Sin came to the world? Yeah. What about the image? What does that mean for the image of God? Was marred, distorted. Okay, it was marred. It was distorted. How do we know? How do we know it was eradicated? Completely annihilated. Jesus came as a man. Jesus came as a man? Okay. He came as a man. In pure holiness, right? Without sin. Uh, uniquely, though, right, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the one of the texts I think is helpful in this uh, comes from Genesis uh, after the flood. Noah, God tells Noah, uh, He says, "Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed." You think of uh, capital punishment, right? But it says, "For God." Made man in his own image. Um, also, in uh, as we think about uh, one of the things from James three nine, it talks about us cursing people and blessing people out of the same mouth. Uh, two kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth, and uh, and how uh, that this is wrong because of people are made in the image of God. Um, as we think about, obviously we looked a little bit about Ephesians 4 and the renewal, Colossians 3. Um, the glory is, is that we uh, who are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the perfect image of God. We have the Lord Jesus Christ to look at and say, how can I be more and more conformed into the image of God? Is to look like Jesus Christ. It is to be conformed uh, unto His image. Uh, in glory. Um, here at the last paragraph, we're not going to spend uh, a lot of time on the last paragraph. Uh, a lot of this will be looked at again in uh, chapter 6 of the Confession, where it talks of, of the fall of man. But he describes here, it says, uh, besides the law written on their hearts uh, that we would see from not only Romans chapter 1, but also Romans chapter 2, and how God has written uh, His law on our hearts, and that the Gentiles even do um, what they know God requires of them because it has been written on their hearts. He says that they have also received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so one of the things I think is really important about this idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, and the way that God dealt with Adam and Eve and the way that, that God was in covenant with them is here it describes God giving them a command. What? Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, what was the sanction that came with that declaration? What did God tell them uh, was uh, repercussions, the consequences, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what was that to happen? Death. 
death. That's what happened. And the day you eat of the tree, you will die. So God gave them a positive command, something that uh, in one sense, they, they could eat and eat of all the trees in the garden, but of this one tree, they were not to eat it. They were not to eat that one tree. And he, he said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so he gave them a, a, a sanction that uh, a consequence, if they did that thing, then it would bring in death. And is exactly what the scriptures say happened, is that Adam and Eve, they both ate of the tree, and they fell. And when they fell, it ushered in sin into the world, and it ushered in death into the world. And the idea was uh, kicked out of the garden, separated from God, uh, that fellowship with God, and that God is relational, and, and He made us not only to be uh, in His image and to be uh, relational beings in relation with Him, to fellowship with Him and to commune with Him, uh, but after the fall, that was broken, and uh, they were kicked out of the garden, and praise God, we have the rest of the scriptures that talk about uh, God's purposes and His plan revealed uh, in farther steps showing us how uh, even making a, a promise in the garden in uh, Genesis chapter 3, in the, in the idea that, that God is going to send one who is going to crush the serpent and who is going to, uh, in one sense, reverse the effects of the curse. He's going to crush the serpent. And uh, we see that that is true and find its final fulfillment in Jesus Christ, our Lord. For the purpose of us communing again with God, fellowshipping with God, uh, having peace with God, restoration. And <clears throat> as they were, uh, they had lost that communion with God uh, out of the garden, the Lord sends His Son to restore that communion with God. And when He comes again, it says that He is going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and that we will get resurrected bodies that we may have perfect fellowship with Him forever without sin. Worship. This is all meant to, to bring us into our knees. Uh, this is meant to, uh, to humble us. This is meant to... Um, uh, we don't really have any time for questions, but it is meant to uh, humble us. No matter what theory you hold to, as far as uh, the six days, this is meant to bring us into a right understanding of God and to worship Him, our triune God. It's meant to lead us to prayer and to praise and great thanksgiving. Beloved, that is what we're here gathered today for on this Lord's Day. So worship our God and praise Him, sing to Him, honor Him. So let's pray now and prepare our hearts for that time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank You for, um, Lord, the richness of Your Word. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We thank you, God, that you've not only revealed yourself to us in a special way through your written word, O oh Lord, but as we look out at all creation, we understand that this is from your hand, and you have made us in your image. Lord, I pray it would change the way that we relate to people. I pray that it would change the way that we forgive others. I pray that we would look to Christ as the quintessential image of God. Lord, he is the image of God. Lord, may we look to him, may we be like him. Not to save ourselves, but because he saved us through faith in him and him alone. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless our time richly as we hear your word and receive your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.